Welcome to Farmer Talk Radio. I'm Danny McCarthy. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Nina Nazar about Janssen's metathecial chondrodysplasia. Dr. Nazar is the founder and executive director of Janssen's Foundation. Welcome, Dr. Nazar. Hi, Danny. Nice, nice to be on your show. So I thought we would start out by just um, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself um, and before we kind of dive into the topic at hand. Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Nina Nazar, and I have um, Janssen's metaphysial chondrodysplasia. Um, I'm also uh, the executive director and founder of the Janssen's Foundation, and I'm also mom to two boys with Janssen's disease. Um, and um, apart from the rare disease world, I'm also an educator. Um, I'm a professor in, of English and a coordinator for training and assessment at a community college here in Nebraska. So uh, that's a little bit about my background. <laughs> and so today we are discussing Janssen's metaphysial chondrodysplasia. What can you tell us about the disease? So Janssen's disease is an ultra-rare uh, skeletal disorder. Um, it is caused by an overactive PTH receptor. Um, so what happens in Janssen's disease is the PTH receptor is kind of damaged, and so it doesn't um, regulate bone turnover very well. So basically uh, all... Um, the human the human body generates new bone all the time, and that's how we grow. But for Janssen, the PTH receptor is not functioning well, and so all the growing ends of our bones are not u- able to take the calcium and make new bone. So we turn over bones so much faster than a normal person would. Um, and so what happens is all the bones are really soft at the ed- at the ends, so all our long bones are affected, and all the excess calcium sort of floats in, um, you know, it, it sort of just remains in your body and has to go to your kidneys to get filtered out. And so Janssen's affects um, the kidneys as well and can lead to ki- kidney damage if not um, treated early on, and sometimes it can lead to kidney failure. Um, but more than um, th- that, I think Janssen's also causes a lot of pain uh, because your bones are forever bending. And because they're bending, you have uh, weight distribution is all messed up. And so you have weight on your body in different angles that cause pain. So walking is difficult day-to-day activities are impacted um you have um you have a you know an enormous amount of surgical intervention throughout your childhood as you grow and so you're spending a lot of time either in surgery or recovering from surgery or sort of regaining skills to learn to walk only to lose it again so it's been a it's a progressive Uh, debilitating condition uh, for which right now we don't have any treatments. And you said ultra rare. So how many people are affected or are managing? um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's ultra rare in that. So right now there are less than, uh, 
there are less than 11 people that we have identified uh, with this disease right now in our registry uh, for Janssen's. Um, worldwide, um, since the disease was discovered, uh, there have been only 30 known cases documented. So ultra-rare means super, <laughs> super, super ultra-rare. <laughs> In America right now, we have uh, myself and two boys, uh, my two boys, and then we have a boy in Florida, a little boy in uh, Texas who was recently diagnosed as early as uh, two months, and then we have uh, another boy in Mississippi, and so um, and then uh, a young lady in um, Wisconsin. So that is basically it. We have one boy in Australia and then one girl in Paraguay and one in Spain. Mm -hmm. So um, that basically makes up our populations. You know, it's been challenging in that we don't have that many cases. And so the, you know, the way we develop drugs for rare diseases is we need to have a rich natural history study. Um, but when you have limited numbers like this in such a disease, you know, the chances of even, you know, coming across a treatment or or even moving a treatment forward is such a huge task and sometimes um, even totally negligible. Um, the chances are negligible. But uh, that's why we set up the foundation in 2017 to spur uh, interest in this disease area and to actually uh, find a treatment, uh, not just for my boys, but also for all of these children who are affected worldwide. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey towards a diagnosis of Janssen? So my journey has been pretty incredible in that um, – so I was never diagnosed with Jensen because uh, um, I don't really present uh, symptoms in a typical Jensen's manner, and so uh, it was it baffled doctors. I had been misdiagnosed as a child as having polio, and then rickets, and then several other skeletal disorders that really never made any sense. But you know, I was born in the 80s in the Middle East in Dubai. At a time when you know there was no Google, uh, and you sort of relied on the doctor to tell you what you had and what he said uh, stuck, and so uh, we never knew any differently. And so I was um, raised with the knowledge that I had this, that, or the other, or just an unknown. Um, so I went through several, uh, you know, surgeries growing up and several interventions to help my uh, bones, you know. And um, when when I did get married uh, later on in life, I was uh, told that, you know, I would never have any children. And so um, we were, my husband and I were in the process of actually thinking of adoption and going forward with that when I, uh, when I became pregnant with my first son. And, um, you know, surprisingly, um, we had no problems at all with the pregnancy. And the, um, Arshan, my son, was born uh, nine pounds at birth and totally uh, fine. He had absolutely no 
there was no inkling of any any kind of disease or that there was something wrong. He met all his milestones. So, you know, we were just joyous. You know, we were new parents and uh, uh, we did everything we could uh you know, to uh, make sure that he was healthy and safe, and he was, and he thrived really, and he did really well. And so, uh, and then I was pregnant with my second son, um, Jahan, and I think around three or four months into the pregnancy is when uh, my first son started uh, regressing. It was almost, it was almost overnight, and so, you know, we were, we were, you know, we were upset, of course, but you know, having had my experience growing up, I knew that even if it was a skeletal thing, we could still give him a very good life. Um, you know, I had a very full life. I went to college. You know, I have a doctorate. I'm educated. I I can, you know, uh, I have a job. I'm self-sufficient. And so I, in my mind and my husband, we were like, okay, you know, if this is a skeletal thing, we will manage it the way, you know, my parents managed me. And so it was at that point that doctors started throwing out things like, well, you know, he's got um, some things up with his kidneys and his calcium is really high, his potassium is really high. And they started throwing out all these things that started confusing us because I had no history of this, uh, these, um, mm-hmm. you know, these indicators in the blood. And I was, you know, going back, looking at my records and trying to make sense of it. And so, of course, we were like, you know, is this another type of condition that is not what I have and it's something different and that was the you know scary bit just not knowing uh, and then at that point we actually um, you know I quit my job and my whole focus was on okay what is this and at that time I was um, you know about 32 years old you know when we were sitting searching for a diagnosis and so I had really gone 32 years without a diagnosis. And so with my second son's birth, uh, it just so happened that after sending several um, emails and x-rays all across the world to skeletal experts and getting returns of, I, I don't know, or I'm sorry, we don't know and we can't help you, um, we finally stumbled across into a geneticist's office. Um, she was a pediatric geneticist in South India, her name was Dr. Sheila Nambudri, and she. we walked into her office, and she took one look at my son's x-rays, and she said, I think I know what you have. And, you know, of course, it was the most, um, you know, the moment that changed our lives in, in, in more ways than one. I mean, we literally were bawling our eyes out, um, you know, just sort of crushed under the weight of realizing what we had and also knowing that um, there were so few people in the world with it and that it was so rare and unknown and that it had so many more variants and complications that I myself did not present. And so knowing that they would have a similar but harder road ahead really spurred uh, us into action, my husband and myself. And, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about how Dr. Sheila Nambudri also diagnosed us because it is sort Mm -hmm. of really quite magical and miraculous. And so she had um, 
studied uh, skeletal display, rare skeletal disorders in Germany, and her professor, while teaching the class, had shown the class one slide and said, um, you know, we're going to skip this slide because you're never, ever going to come across a Janssen's patient in your life. And so mm-hmm. when she saw our x-rays, she remembered the slide. And so it was just really... Um, it was almost like God sent moment that, you know, she would be there to see that and remember her class. And she called up her professor and she said, I don't have one, but I have three patients with this disease. And um, so our blood was sent from India to uh, a lab here in America. And within a few days, we got the diagnosis confirmed of Janssen's disease. And so began our journey. <laughs> we um, so we lived in Dubai, and uh, uh, you know I resigned my job, and we packed up our stuff, and we moved stateside because we knew that the boys needed care and treatment that we it would that would not be possible in Dubai. And we um, on researching the disease, we found very few articles. Um, about this disease and so one of the articles um, most of the articles were written by authors by uh, Dr. Harold Jupner and Dr. Thomas Gordella from Boston Harvard and so we knew that we needed to come to the U.S. and my husband Mm -hmm. is um, you know he was American living uh, in Nebraska and so when we moved stateside we moved to Nebraska and we moved here in 2015, and our first uh, hunt was to find Dr. Jupner and his team to talk more about this disease. And very soon we realized that, you know, they had all this uh, research and they had, um, you know, a, a sort of mouse model already, and they had some theories about this disease that, uh, they had sort of shelved in a sense because there were no patients, no one really to push it or no one to drive it. And so here we were, you know, myself and three of mm. uh, my two boys, and we had contacted this little boy, Levi, um, in Mississippi, and we all knew that this is something we wanted to pursue. And and we had such rich data because I've lived the disease, I have my notes, I have everything that I can share. And so it was truly a collaborative uh, endeavor with uh, the Harvard team. Uh, they were, you know, they had researched this for 20 years and um, never ever met a patient. And so, wow. um, you know, then they met me and my boys, and, uh, you know, uh, they met Levi uh, from Mississippi, and now they had. They had so much more impetus to, uh, you know, take some of that research off the shelf and dust it off and start, you know, getting going on some kind of treatment, something to lessen the surgical interventions and the pain. And so mm-hmm. that's really where we were. And so what were the potential treatments or the larger landscape of treatments, management, clinical trials? What what does that look like for Janssen? Right now, everything is so much more hopeful than when we first landed in 2015. So in 2017, we set up the foundation. And by the end of 2017, Mm -hmm. we actually got the R01 uh, grant from the NIH to 
pursue um, treatment options and research for uh, preclinical data for Janssen's. And so what Dr. Juvener's team uh, is doing is really putting together a ligand, an inverse agonist, really, to turn off the overactive PTH receptor. And they mm-hmm. had very good data in their preclinical models and in their mouse models that the NIH felt that we had a strong case to move forward to uh, a clinical trial. So right now, at the end of 2018, we actually got the our, uh, the TRND grant from the NIH, that is the Translational Research for rare and neglected diseases. They had a grant that would uh, help us with toxicology studies and with the production of the material to go into a clinical trial. So we are really on course for the first ever trial for Janssen's disease. And um, we are at a really good point in, in you know, even thinking that this is going to be a possibility that uh, somehow the boys and all of the on, and all these children will not have to endure some of the pain that they are in right now. So it's it's quite hopeful. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you set up um, the Jansen Foundation, and it seems like you've taken a really active part in your treatment and in the research. What do you think could be done differently or better to assist patients who have ultra-rare, as you characterized it, diseases who don't have the same natural history scope, who don't have the same networks. How could we be better assisting people? You know, when I first started, one of the things that I was told is nobody's going to care about eight patients in the world because we were at eight when I first journeyed into this rare disease space to find people who would be interested in helping us. And that was the first thing I was told. No one's going to care about eight people. So I think the first thing we really need to do is change our mentality. We have to change the language we use around rare. It doesn't need to be so defeatist, and it doesn't need to be so declarative in a negative sense and sort of crushing of all hope. I think we are in a time when um, you know, gene therapy is taking off. You know, we have so much more hope uh, at, um, you know, f- uh, sort of finding treatments for even these rare one-off conditions. Precision medicine is really at the forefront to, in today's uh, rare disease space that I don't think anyone needs to feel like, well, we don't have enough people or we don't have enough you know, history or data, or we don't, or our lives don't matter somehow. In the in the larger scheme of things, there is, there will be someone out there that's researching or has an interest in looking at what you have. I think what's what's important to look at is that there's so many startups, there are so many people entering the space wanting to do good and um, help. And I think that's really important. I think we need to clutch on to those straws, even if they are very flimsy and they seem impossible, and then build, build your relationships and, and collaborate wherever we, wherever you can you know, uh, with the purpose of moving treatment forward. So I think um, I think a lot of people get stuck up in in the in the roots 
of it all as in you know how do we set up a foundation you know do we need to do this and that and the other you know that's very time consuming and when you never and when you don't have time on your side you have to plot the fastest path forward to move your treatment so I think, you know, don't get stuck in the weeds, really, but look at, okay, what do I need to do? First of all, you need to understand the disease. You understand what's happening. And so either you partner with, you know, the basic scientist or you partner with somebody uh, who has an understanding, even if it's not your specific disease, maybe it's your disease area. And once you start understanding that a little bit more, then think about the mechanism that's uh, involved in, you know, disrupting the natural order of things in your disease. And then really the next step is to find ways in which maybe the NIH will partner with you or if you have enough robust, um, you know, information and data, the NIH is really the best place to start in finding someone who would be interested in your disease or they already have a group of diseases that they're working on and you kind of tag team with them. Um, I think that, um, you know, finding a pharma to pick pick up your disease is, is harder because, of the investment into smaller conditions, but uh, we're seeing now that there are people who would be interested even in small one-off diseases because of the um, because of the return in terms of uh, you know we can generalize some of these treatments for in for instance in our condition um, a treatment for Jensen's will open up you know uh, treatments for other chondrodysplasias but also for kidney diseases you know hypophosphatasia things like that so you have different you have a lot more uh, options in how the treatment can be used going forward in terms of general diseases so. I don't think that we should feel that um, we are powerless. I think people with rare diseases, um, we we grapple with a lot in terms of uh, treatment and in terms of um, just understanding the disease first, living it if you are having the disease yourself, and then being able to you know circumvent all those emotions but still be able to plot a path forward. I think that's the hardest part. And so, you know, being able to sort of see clearly, even though you're so, you know, weighed down by so much emotion, I think that's going to be the way forward for you. Before I let you go, are there any resources that people can look up or check out to follow the work that you're doing with Janssen's or uh, just maybe more generally? Yeah, absolutely. So the JansenFoundation.org uh, will bring you to our website. If you search uh, for the Jansen Foundation on the Facebook, um, you can find us as well as uh, if you want to reach out directly, there's an email on the website. If you know, you're starting down the rare disease path and you just want some help or you just want to talk things through, I'm always willing to listen and, and share my experiences and contacts that have helped us. I have to say that the space has been fabulous in that it's very collaborative in nature. I think mm -hmm. uh, Nord, uh, Nord and Global Genes, they do such a great job of supporting. Uh, and then, you know, just also lean on uh, advocates who've gone before us and uh, rare disease, you know, people who have run foundation always lean on the experienced voices in the, in the field. Uh, but also, you know, don't get 
don't get pulled down into the weeds of it all. Just make sure your path is still very clear. Well, I'd love to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Dr. Mazar is the founder and executive director of Janssen Foundation. You can learn more about what the foundation is doing at thejansonfoundation.org. And for more information on our own podcast, go to theconferenceforum.org. Thank you so much, Dr. Nazar.